Well, hey there. Welcome to Just To Be Nominated, a podcast about movies that is distributed by Lee Enterprises. The show is hosted by Bruce Miller, an entertainment reporter for multiple decades, who is currently the editor of the Sioux City Journal. Jared McNett, a reporter for the Sioux City Journal. And me, Chris Lay, the podcast operations manager for Lee. This week, we managed to get her done even more than we did last week in talking about the movie Dune, a new sci-fi epic directed by Denis Villeneuve. We cranked the whimsy up to 11 with Wes Anderson's new anthology film, The French Dispatch. And we went all in on the new Wendigo movie, Antlers. For our staff picks, we were inspired by the latest Edgar Wright movie, Last Night in Soho, as well as the latest paranormal activity movie, Next of Kin, and as such, we have a handful of ghostly movies to recommend. Then finally, we take a look at the latest movie news. You can find links to all the movies that we talk about in the show notes, along with links to our social media, etc., to see what we're up to and or contact us if you want to sound off in our DMs. If you like the show, you should tell your movie-loving pals and let us know what you think in the review section of the show wherever you get your podcasts. Now, here it is. Our show kicks off after this short pause. What is your go-to like movie soda? Like, what do you, what do you do with that? Uh, if they have like those Coke freestyle machines, it's usually like some variation of Coke Zero or like the the Pib uh, Zero. What about you, Bruce? Well, I I hate those machines. Oh, they're so good. No, you get some slobber from some last person who was there that has mixed it where they want to have Fanta in with something else. And I'm doing a little bit of this and a little bit of that. And I'm a Coke purist. And so if I can't have the real Coke, I will probably push the button for a long period of time to clear out the hoses <laughs> to make sure that I don't get stuck with something I don't want. Get some leftover weird like iced and like you know orange soda slurry (laughs) yeah it tastes really off and you go hmm what is this so then you just keep poking the buttons and there's usually somebody behind you who is very mad because you're not moving it along i was i was really horrified the other day when i went to see dune because i was standing behind somebody at the coke freestyle thing and they got like a mix of either root beer and cream soda that was one of them and then also like lemonade and then a third thing that i don't even remember what the hell it was but it was like one of the most disgusting like combinations i think i've seen someone this was this was all going into one cup or were these three separate cups no that was one cup that's i don't know about that (laughs) yeah if it's the freestyle i'll do a, a coke or like a diet coke with the like the lemon flavor added to it which is always good and if they um if they uh if they've got if they don't have that it's usually just like a mix of diet coke and then diet dr pepper if they've got that that's what i had last night so last night i went and saw french dispatch and it sounds like jared you mentioned going to see dune so we can definitely transition into into dune talk because now all three of us have seen dune so we've got jared mcnett uh, and and Bruce Miller both in Sioux City, and and me Chris Lay in Madison, and and we like movies, and we're gonna talk about them. So let's catch up on Dune, guys. Bruce, 
All right, where do you want to start? Where do you want to start? I know that you guys are just like, oh my God, I love this. This is so good. And I think it's half a movie. I wanted the rest of it. And the idea that they didn't film all this at once is ridiculous because somebody might die between then or there'll be some glitch in the in the whole system. You got them all there. They're all standing in front of a green screen. Finish the sucker off. I bet when they were doing a lot of those sand days, they could easily have had Timothy Chalamet doing part two in some other stage because I'm, I bet they sat around for this the longest period of time. And so I, well, I appreciated the artistry of the film and I, I understand that he is telling it slowly so that we get a whole sense of what it is. The idea that I'm gonna wait two years at the very least to see how this ends is not acceptable. I guess I had forgotten that like they had just filmed both of them at the same time. I just thought for sure that's what they did because that's what makes the most sense these days for a, a massive undertaking like that. Yeah, just the scheduling and alone is a logistics nightmare, much less working out the sets, you know, locations, uh, you know, everything along those, especially when you have a number of these actors are part of these other massive franchises that are going to be, you know, as as dominant in in their time and their schedules, you know, going forward. So yeah, I and, and I'm sure that we'll, you know, touch on this in greater detail, maybe. But I mean, part of the news this week was that the the second half of Dune was finally greenlit, which to me, I mean, it seems like the kind of thing where they knew they were always going to make a second movie, and why there's this public dancing around it is, I don't know, seems interesting in a news cycle way, but not in any substantive way. And yeah, from a, a logistics standpoint, it doesn't make any sense. And, and now we're talking about a third movie as well, which uh, Denny Villeneuve has definitely pitched. So Dune Messiah based on the, the sequel to Dune. So we've got three movies based on two books. So Bruce, other than, you know, waiting to, to pass full judgment, capital F, capital J, full judgment on, <laughs> on the film uh, until, the, until you can see the second half. What did you think? I mean, like, did it? You know, for this kind of goofy world, you know, I don't like these things. I hate all this sci-fi stuff where they create the names of characters from whole cloth and they all come from planets that you've never heard of. It does a very nice job of pulling you in as an outsider. But I am not one who read all those books or care or would read all those books and try and decipher who's from what planet or what country or whatever they want to call those things. But I thought it didn't make me feel like an outsider. So that's good. I could see touches of Star Wars in it. I could see, you know what Star Wars did? Star Wars just kind of proceeded as if you knew all this world and you had to kind of catch up. Here you don't catch up. Here you they lay it out from first note to last note until you get to the the uh, intersection. But um, I I understood everything. I love the visuals. I thought it's one that easily it could be a best cinematography winner. It could be a best costume winner. It could even get best production design, even though a lot of it is green screen. And then I I kept worrying about these older actors they've got in there. They've got a whole herd of older actors that I think they're gonna be dead 
They will be dead before they finish this thing. And so that made me nervous. And then I thought, well, Zendaya is second build in this whole thing and she's barely in it. I mean, that's, you know, punting down to the, the sequel, the eventual sequel. But I mean, you're totally right. She has a, a grand total of maybe like 10 lines. Yeah, but I, they cast well. The people who are in it are good. It has a bigger quality feel to it than you would expect from Dune. Because Dune to me seems kind of pulpy, if you ask, you know, what they're up to. This is another one of those nuts that could have created a religion after he's written his sci-fi books. And um, nobody would have blinked an eye. But it has a little more, it has a little more something to it. You mentioned um, Star Wars, and that was one thing I was actually kind of thinking about because I I've never read any of the Dune books either, and that's the older movie that David Lynch did is one of the few of his that I haven't actually seen. And I will say, when I was watching Dune, I was thinking about the fact that like with Star Wars, there's like a real like breadth of the universe. It's it's very big. There's a lot of different planets, but there's not necessarily a lot of depth to any one particular thing in Star Wars. Whereas with Dune and like the way the story was unfolding, it felt like there was a lot more depth to like the story that was they were trying to tell in the movie and even like the worlds and stuff like that felt like they had a little bit more depth to them than maybe Star Wars or some other sci-fi stuff, which I appreciated. You know what I, I think what's happened is streaming services have made us so uh, able to see things right away. Like I could watch the whole series of something in one day if I wanted to. And the idea that they're holding it off now is almost against all rules that we're seeing created for the entertainment industry. So this is going back to, this reminds me of those roadshow things they used to do back in the 50s and 60s where it would only be in select theaters. You had to buy tickets in advance. It was like going to the theater. And, um, uh, Cinerama, if you're familiar with that, was where the screen was rounded and they had to have three projectors and they never really always meshed. That was a big deal. You would go to those and you'd say, oh my God, we are, this is like a vacation. This is a vacation thing. And it had that kind of feel where you go, oh, Lawrence of Arabia, this is what we're getting. Um, and I, it'd be nice to see that concept come back. It'd be great for theater owners if it became event programming. But this is a big swing for just one little movie to have to, you know, make. Yeah, I think the the event aspect of it is certainly remarkable, given the the current state of you know obviously theaters being, I mean, e even going into the pandemic, you know, there being this constant you know push and pull of how how are theaters doing, um, and so the idea of something that should be unifying people when we haven't really had any big you know marvel movies i mean shang chi did great i'm not knocking that necessarily but i mean it's not avengers or uh, black panther these you know movies that are going to do multiple billions of dollars you know worldwide i'm intrigued to see where things land i guess with more of these you know blockbustery type things or even things that aren't necessarily blockbustery, but obviously Ridley Scott's Last Duel tanked, partly from you know really poor marketing. But I think House of Gucci is going to do pretty good. But that doesn't necessarily seem like 
it's going to lose a tremendous amount translating from the big screen to the small screen. I mean, I'm definitely going to see it in a theater as soon as I can, but I don't think that I'm necessarily going to to fault anyone who waits for it, it to hit VOD. But we're we're approaching the other side of the end of day and date as we've been experiencing it. And it seems like that's going to be something that a lot of these companies are going to continue to kind of play with depending on the movie. And yeah, I mean, I think Dune is one that seeing it in a theater for the first time that you see it seems necessary. And then having it available to rewatch so you can pick up the smaller bits of the plot. Cause it's, I mean, it's, it's a dense film uh, and ha- having that available for you to just kind of consult after the fact is, is really beneficial. Uh, but it's a pretty unique case in the, in the larger, uh, you know, world, I guess, of, of current cinema going. Did you yep. see it? Did you see it in a movie theater? Or did you see it at? Yeah. Okay. How good was the projection? I thought it was great. Yeah. I didn't have any problems with it. Jared, did you have any problems? No. Sometimes though, you know, where they, you think they need to change a light bulb, you know, because it's too dark. And this is a film that I would be very careful about making sure the exhibition quality was there because you could easily have a lot of dark moments where you go, can I even see those people? Are they, where are they? Are they in a cave? And that's where exhibitors need to be a little better at um, making sure their equipment is, is right up to snuff and we're not just getting whatever. If you're gonna want people to come out and go to you know, a, a very special kind of thing, you make sure those situations are special for them and then they'll come back. But now when so we have so many choices, when there are so many options for entertainment and with TV and, and streaming, just throwing stuff up like crazy, you need to do those things that are going to make it a little better. Not necessarily in the defense of, you know, theater owners, but I mean, like those bulbs are like ungodly expensive from what I understand. Um, and they absolutely should have them up to snuff. I end up bumping into issues more with and this is way less uh (laughs) much more nitpicky but masking you know if if something is in a uh like a frame ratio that isn't necessarily the exact specifications of the screen you end up with you know these chunks of you know on the the sides or the tops top or bottom um of you know gray and that's definitely been not not disorienting, but it's certainly taken me out of of things a little bit in you know in in, in the past. Um, and yeah, like I said, that that's way more nitpicky than anything else. I'm not going to go and you know full uh, <laughs> you know may I speak to the manager, please about <laughs> about the masking situation. But but I but I have been to the the university cinematheque here in madison i mean they screened uh one of the one of the mad max films that has an early sequence that is masked in a completely different ratio than the second half and they made a point of you know having the you know the screen you know kind of like yeah exactly yeah which is 
I mean, I thought was fantastic. The that level of attention to detail, you know, certainly reveals that you know the people that are running it are dedicated to film. That they, you know, are making sure that the experience that you're getting is the one that the filmmaker intended. And you know, I get it. You know, at the studios in Hollywood, they have screening rooms that are unbelievable, unbelievable. But they also have chairs that are so comfortable, it's very easy to fall asleep during the middle of anything. So I guess that's part of the gig. If, you know, if, if you can't talk about it because you were asleep during two thirds of the movie, maybe it's okay. Did you have any problems uh, nodding off during Dune? Sadly, no. <laughs> Sadly. Uh, <laughs> I was counting on a good nap because I thought it would be a napper, but it wasn't. No, like I say, they're very good at setting it out and keeping you going. I just think I needed a little more. Um, so it's it's really hard to nap during any movie that has a score from Hans Zimmer at this point. Like, because it's just... I'm I'm not a fan of Hans Zimmer's like scores at this point anymore, and it's kind of been that way since Inception. Like that one feels like a parody at this point, just a over and over again. I not for me. You can do other stuff with sci-fi scores than just loud blasts of noise. <laughs> so yeah, I mean, are you are we all? I mean, I don't. It's not a four-star movie. Not yet. No, if you put it all together and you have the director's cut in, what would that be? 20, 30? I think they're they're shooting for a 2023. I don't know if it'll be summer or Christmas, um, but that's, the I think. Second the, part. And then you add the other ones in and you make one big massive like Godfather saga. Yeah. And I'm sure, I'm sure Warner Brothers is going to have a bunch of additional you know, franchise adjacent, uh, you know, content oh, yeah. that'll be on HBO Max for better or worse, which yep. I mean, I mean, I was I was talking with a friend about this last night, who's a little bit more acquainted with the, you know, expanded Dune, the Duneverse, I guess. Uh, and there's a lot of diminishing returns, the further you get away from the the original text. And I mean, so, I mean, we'll see how much they're going to be able to wring out of this before you get to these, you know, weird, you know, manifestos that are, kind of, you know, baked into the later books, uh, you know, about taxation and, <laughs> you know, this, you know, weird libertarian politics that, you know, are kind of crammed into some, you know, space opera type stuff that he's got going on. So yeah, I'll, I'll be interested to see where they go from there, but is there merchandise for this? There are toys. Right. I know that there are toys, uh, but I'm not sure what other you can uh, you can buy the you can buy the fear box that you stick your hand into for kids. The Gamja Bar, I think that's what that was. Yeah. Yep. Yeah. Yeah. Lisa Momoa comes over to your house and you do a workout together. Is that part of it as well? Oh man, wouldn't that be fantastic? <laughs> Somebody, so, somebody like uh, on Twitter perfectly described his vibe and like a lot of the, the movies he's in as just like loyal golden retriever, which I think is like a perfect description of a lot of the characters he plays. Yep. 
Yeah. He'd be a great Hagrid if they rebooted Harry Potter. Absolutely. Okay, so Dune, the verdict is still not in, right? I mean, I, I'm going to give it a, a pretty solid thumbs up. I mean, I was thoroughly entertained, I think, as, you know, science fiction filmmaking. Absolutely fantastic. I rewatched uh, Jodorowsky's Dune, the documentary about Alejandro Jodorowsky. This, I mean, sort of demented uh, Spanish filmmaker <laughs> who developed a whole bunch of like pre-production stuff for Dune years before the David Lynch version. And he basically wanted to make it into this story about you know, cosmic awareness coming to humanity, which you can totally read in, in the text of the book in the same way that you can read the text of the book as being a treatise on environmentalism and conservation. And, you know, you can read into it this, uh, you know, art of war level, you know, how to, you know, manage people and, you know, govern <laughs> and, uh, that's a documentary I still need to watch, and I know it's one well worth uh, seeking out because obviously the uh, the older Dune had a very uh, tortured uh, history getting onto screen. From like a, a sci-fi filmmaking standpoint, I'll give it a huge you know thumbs up. See it on a big screen, Jared. What do you think? Four stars out of five. Four stars out of five. When are you adding a star to all of this? We only go as high as four. It's five on uh, on Letterboxd, so that's my metric. Like I said, why are you going in that direction? That's not a place to go. That gives you more hedge room. That's not fair. Yeah. Chris, you went and saw the, the, the French Dispatch, right? I went and saw the French Dispatch last night, and it was lovely. Oh, good. Have you seen it? No, no. And I, I heard that it was separate stories, and I thought, oh, do I want that? You know, we had the Coen brothers with the Ballad of Buster Scruggs or Skaggs or something like that. Yes. And that was a similar concept where it's little stories into one. Is that what this is? Yes. So it is pretty unique frame story structure as if it was a, an issue of a New Yorker type magazine based in uh, Ennui du Blasé this like made up city in France. And so each story fits into, you know, that where you've got like three different, you know, feature articles that don't interconnect outside of just having to do with this, this one city. It is at once one of the most Wes Anderson-y films, visually speaking. I mean, it is inventive and stylish and I mean, it's dazzling. To use, I guess, like, like New Yorkery language, I, I would describe it as frothy, uh, a bauble, <laughs> a, uh, a a confection. Uh, and it's 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 super fluffy, but it's it's really really pretty, and it's also the least Wes Anderson-y movie in in another way where you miss out on a lot of the the stuff that. that that he's clearly wrestling with in a lot of his movies, even something that is a messier film like Darjeeling limited is loaded with a lot of, you know, daddy issues and sibling issues and coming of age and, you know, uh, arrested development. And none of that is really in this movie. So 
substantively it is much more minimal but man i mean it is you hit the nail right on the head bruce with buster scruggs i think my like one line kind of pithy throwaway uh letterboxed review was uh the grand ballad of royal <laughs> tenon buster scruggs that was my <laughs> and in the same way that buster scruggs is pleasant and and still kind of loaded with a lot of the the elements that the cohen brothers are are known for yeah it definitely fits in in that lineage i would have liked to have spent a lot more time with any of those individual stories but none of them overstay their welcome i mean it was a pleasant film i i laughed out loud many many times and uh yeah it was it was a great time do characters cross over or is it just confined totally confined okay and then isn't there like some kind of um is it kansas reference what's the one that, that where is this paper and what is this so this is in france but it is it started out as like a sunday supplement in like the early 1900s from the i think that the kansas evening star i believe is what it was and it just kind of evolved from there uh into you know this expatriate publication that is entirely designed to basically be informing the people of kansas and uh or at least initially uh you know of this much more worldly you know, more, you know, cosmopolitan French cultural experience, I guess. And, uh, and then it just kind of from there ended up turning into this literary event in the same way that, you know, the, the New Yorker is they've got, you know, like the covers are, are, you know, very similar. I mean, it's, it's basically just a complete riff on the New Yorker. What era is it set in? It's set in like the, the mid, the mid seventies. Okay. But it, it, it dances around because the subjects of the the profiles and the feature articles, uh, you know, definitely in in the course of telling their stories, it jumps around. But these are all articles that would have come out in, in the the final issue of of the French Dispatch in in the mid seventies. Oh, it looks fun. Very enjoyable. Highly recommended. Excellent. That's good. But it still is kind of a an asterisk, I guess. In like you, you don't get to know anything about him that you don't already know in the sense of man this guy sure has read a lot of salinger you know <laughs> like that's the <laughs> and you say when is the coffee table book coming out about the production design oh i mean I'm, I'm sure that that's already out yeah yeah because he is very very visually inventive i think and i mean wait till you see the way that he does all of the the inventive stuff and this is also one of the i don't think i've ever seen a movie of his reference visually other movies that he's done there are these passive you know sight gags where you're like oh i remember that from from rushmore you know there's even this sequence or this like little moment where there is you know stop motion animation that happens when a uh, like a wall comes down like a, a wall is kind of like blown up or something and it didn't need to be stop motion animation but it harkens back obviously to uh you know fantastic mr fox and isle of dogs i had a, i had a blast thumbs up great Jared, you saw Antlers, directed by Scott did. Cooper. Yes, uh, who also did uh, Looking for a, a Dune in a French Dispatch uh, connection here. He uh, did Hostels a couple years ago, with, which uh, Timothy Chalamet is also in. And uh, 
Antlers was one of the ones that, like, kind of low-key, I think, suffered the most from, like, delays and stuff from uh, COVID. Because there were ads for it going back to, like, January of last year, if I remember correctly. Um, but it's finally out now. And basically, the uh, the plot of it is it's set in, like, uh, very rural um, Oregon. It's got um, Carrie Russell and uh, Jesse Plemons in it, who... I'm a big fan of of both of them, and it basically is about a Wendigo, which is like a, a Native American malevolent uh, creature that starts wreaking havoc on this um, town in Oregon that this little kid basically is like trying to protect for a while, and I thought it was really good because of like that um, like myth stuff that it wove in, but then also a, a, a lot of the movie follows this kid around. And so a lot of the movie kind of ends up being too about like rural poverty pretty much because like the conditions this kid lives in are just awful. And the reason he's able to just hide this like malevolent creature for a while is because nobody really cares about this kid because his mom is dead. And his dad is like a, a meth head, basically. And so this kid's just kind of on his own in this abandoned house. And it, the, the, the kid that they got, it, Jeremy Thomas is his name, is like really haunting in the movie. And it, because of that, it ended up being way more emotional than I thought it was going to be. And so I really loved it. And it's one of the more emotional and one of the better horror movies I've definitely seen this year. Do you get to see the creature? You do, yeah. And you get to... Um, you get to see the creature a couple different times throughout, like different transformations and stuff too, which is pretty cool. So, yeah, that you know that interested me because tonight I'm trying to figure out what I'm going to see, and I thought, well, that's kind of odd. I should go see that one, but you say it's a good, so I could take the risk. Yeah, no, I I, I liked it quite a bit. Like I said, like Carrie Russell and Jesse Plemons are both in it. And they're like, I think they're always pretty good. Like, I loved Carrie Russell throughout the Americans. And Jesse Plemons seems like anytime he shows up in a supporting role, he does solid work if, at, at bare minimum. You guys are big fans of Philip Seymour Hoffman, and I see him taking those roles that he would have gotten. He has that same kind of feel. I think he has a huge career ahead of him. And even if he took a an Antlers movie, it isn't going to do any, you know, it's not going to tarnish anything they'll just say oh that was his indie horror moment well speaking of horror i don't think any of us have seen the new edgar wright last night in soho or the new paranormal activity which is out on paramount plus i'm good on that one you're good on that one yeah where do they go in this one what are they doing in it's in amish country there's a haunted loom or maybe a haunted uh, butter churn do they set up a camera in this thing? This can't happen, can it? <laughs> that's a good, yeah, that's a good question. The poltergeist comes in and puts zippers on all their clothes when they're sleeping. That's the, like, <laughs> <laughs> um, <laughs> now Jared will watch. <laughs> oh my god! No. But yeah, the uh, so that's paranormal activity, and again, I, I'm not. I mean, I'll probably throw that on i have i haven't really watched any of those movies which is I haven't either. a problem for me no it's not but to kind of jump off of those two films paranormal activity next of kin and last night in soho which are both ghost stories 
Last night in Soho does look good, and I definitely want to see that. I, I probably will this weekend, so very excited for it. I'll go see anything that he does. With those two movies being very ghost-centric for our staff picks, we were going to talk about our favorite ghost story movies that are worth uh, recommending. I know, uh, Bruce, you are not so much a horror nerd, but... Oh, I still hate these movies. I hate, I hate everything that's horror, so just know you're. That- you're looking forward to November when when we can start talking about <laughs> awards bait yeah. and <laughs> get me to those those uh, costume dramas that have a lot of nudity in them. Then I'm in. <laughs> to jump back a little bit, you were gonna love French Dispatch. I mean, this is one of the horniest Wes Anderson <laughs> movies. Oh, I think we have a winner. <laughs> French Dispatch, rated R for pervasive graphic nudity so ghost stories ghost stories thank you for bringing us back from the edge here i can get us uh, started i'm almost starting i've mentioned this movie at some point in the past but um uh my pick was i think it came out in 1980 exactly um a couple weeks back i picked the exorcist 3 which has george c scott this is another horror movie with george c scott and that is uh the changeling which is a uh, ghost story slash haunted house movie uh, set in Washington, um, where basically George C. Scott is this piano player who has a horrible tragedy a few years earlier in his life, and he decides to move into this like old, old, large house in Washington where he can play piano and just kind of be to himself. And slowly he starts to realize that the place is haunted by the ghost of this little boy who died in this horrifying way years and years before. Um, and some of the scares in it are really, really strong. And then just like the story with the kid and like George E. Scott's performance in it, it is another really emotional horror movie. And I think that's the thing I'm most impressed by it, even like when I've watched it several times now, it's just how emotional some of the beats in that movie are. So that, that was mine was, uh, the changeling. Been on my list for a while and I need to correct that. My pick, Beetlejuice. 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 It gets better and better and better every single time I, I, I watch it. The effects are incredible. The story itself is wonderful. Uh, I mean, the, the ensemble cast, killer. It's a fantastic film. And it's one that I feel ridiculous recommending because hopefully everyone has seen it by now. But it's so rewatchable. and one of the great family-friendly horror films in a way that is scary, but also very approachable for kids. Kids need more entry entry points into horror because it seems like there's a lot of, it's a real stark disparity between like things that are pandering to kids that are, you know, kind of uh, scary. And then like horror that is like hard are for adults. And this fits really nicely into that and it's uh, also a, a really great introduction you know to the the weird world of tim burton wow i was surprised you went there really yeah i wouldn't have thought you'd pick that that'd be more like my pick <laughs> it was either that or the other one that i was kicking around was spirited away oh nice i'm really not that much of a of a horror guy i mean but like i'm i'm somewhere in the middle between between you 
Bruce and uh, and Jared. Like that's you know I yeah I appreciate, it, but there's I still have a, a lot of blind spots in horror, and I'm okay with that. It, the less I know, the better, because so much of it is is just repeating concepts that have worked in other things. The one I picked, and I'll tell you why, is because it doesn't overtly show you this horror thing. And that's The Conjuring. It is all in kind of your own mind. You know how you're a, a creaky door where you go, oh God, is that something, is somebody out there? Is somebody in my hallway? Or you hear like footsteps or things. Those are all things that could really happen in your house. And you could be scared to death. Whereas if you have like Saw or any of those things where they're just torturing people, I don't like that. I like the idea that you, you could be, and I do even like the some of the babysitter movies where, you know, she's in the house alone and you think, is somebody in the house with me? And you got to figure out where that big bunch of knives happen to be. And they always have those glass windows. Um, I guess all windows would be glass, but I mean, if they have those windows everywhere and you think, shut some drapes in this house. And I, I like the idea that they're playing on your own fears. Whereas it isn't something that you have to visually see to be scared by. You know, I hate all those um, where they're coming out of the TV set or I think they all started in Japanese cinema where it's some creature that's jumping out and I don't care. I, those things that bore me. But I like the idea that you have your own mind and you all, you're worried about the own things that, that could happen to you. And that's why I think Alfred Hitchcock was so good at all that kind of thriller stuff is because he didn't always just come out and show you. He just preyed on your own fears. And the thing I loved about The Conjuring too is they captured the 70s really well. That the old temple that was doing this investigation with the bad tape recorder, I thought that's exactly the way. I think I had that tape recorder. And they look like they're, they're in the 70s. And they seem like that creepy couple that you would ignore if you were at church. You'd go, oh, I don't think so. They seem a little offbeat. And then they're doing this kind of job and they're digging into dolls and stuff. And then the, the weird thing is they keep all this crap in some room in their house. No, get rid of it. But conjuring, that was my choice. But it's just, it's because it, it, go, it goes with the things that go bump in the night. And I think that's what I like best about it. The things that scare me in, in real life is like, if, if I'm in bed and it's like, did I did I leave that closet door open? It's open now. I don't remember it being open. Like, you know, the, you know, hearing like floorboards creak or the house settling, quote unquote, you know, like those kinds of noises are especially disturbing. And that's, so I totally get that. I still maintain that that, like, especially in like more recent movies is one of the scariest like horror movies in like quite a while because there, there are plenty of horror movies that like aren't, actually that's scary that don't like make you jump or anything like that the conjuring has like several really really strong and well-earned like scares in it and i know i've i'm almost certain i've talked about this before but like when i went and saw that i saw that in this like teeny tiny town up near the canadian border when i was on like a camping trip to a national park with a friend and then we had to go back to our campsite afterward and trying to fall asleep that night at a campsite after watching the conjuring was just awful it took me so long to go to sleep because every noise that i like heard in the woods or like in the campground just had me convinced that i was going to be a goner momentarily haven't you had the time where you hear like a branch hitting a window in your house and you go oh my god 
they're coming to get me. I constantly think about where I would hide if a murderer came, because I'm not going to confront them. I'm not going to do that. (laughs) You know, could I slide under the bed and not act like I'm there? Those are the things that come to mind when I hear these, you know, these, what would I do in that situation? One night, actually, I had an experience where it was like three o'clock in the morning and I heard a, a knock at the door and you go, I'm not answering the door. It's not going to no. happen. And so I, just, then of course, it no. gets the best of you when you hear boom, 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 boom. And you think, well, there's a window next to the door. I'll go in that bedroom and look through the window and see who it is. And just as I'm getting there, these lights come on and it's like a, like a SWAT team that has come to my front door looking for somebody who has escaped. And they thought, I, I said, they, that, that person is not in here. I am not holding that person. And I think I was like just minutes away from them breaking down the door <laughs> because I wasn't answering the door. Well, I'm not answering the door in the middle of the night. If you're coming pounding, I'm sorry. But yeah, it was, but here were all these cops dressed up in, in, um, bulletproof vests and they had big guns and they had uh, flashlights and apparently somebody had escaped and they thought he was in my neighborhood and I could be harboring him I said come on in if you can find a place you're welcome to it but not here but that that's why I never will answer the door even (laughs) when I hear like something happening I think no never answer the door that'll be the name of my horror film never answer the door the Bruce Miller story. Part one. <laughs> what do we got for news? Anybody? I mean, obviously, I mean, maybe to address, you know, the, the elephant in the room maybe is the, the ongoing issues with Rust and Alec Baldwin and the, you know, horrible tragedy, you know, that, that happened on that movie set. Uh, and the repercussions of that are going to be rippling out for quite some time um and i don't i mean i don't know if anybody wants to necessarily talk about that it's it's not so much that it's it's not fun i just don't know how to wring much more out of that you know you can make an independent film but you really should maintain the standards that you need to protect the, the performers and the other the other people on in the crew because from what we hear, they were cutting corners on costs and, you know, maybe they needed more procedures with that. I have no need for a gun being shot in any film. You can easily do special effects with that. And I, I don't see a need for it. If they banned guns from films, they could still use guns in films, but they don't need to fire them. The information that's coming out, however, you know, confirmed or unconfirmed, a lot of it is at this point, it sounds like, I mean, there was just a, a string of catastrophic mistakes with the idea of, I mean, how a single live bullet, much less apparently multiple, ended up on a film set as well as in, you know, in a gun. I mean, I, yeah, it's, it's baffling and the tragedy of it really is just, it's a, it's an absolute shame. I definitely get why. Obviously, you know, the lion's share of this has fallen on Alec Baldwin, not just because he was the one that pulled the trigger, but because he was one of the producers. But for something like that to happen, there has to be so many failures and so many mistakes by so many people, not just one person, even if it was someone who was also like a producer on the movie. That's just 
compounding failure on top of compounding failure. My heart honestly goes out to, to Alec Baldwin. And I mean, I can't imagine the mark that it's going to leave on him. And uh, bummer. So we've got another Dune movie coming. That's that's some, that's some big news. Mine were both pretty, uh, pretty just like low stakes and stuff that I thought was kind of funny uh, more than anything else. And one of them is one I said to you, Chris, but it was um, Brian Cox just being on an absolute uh, tear, uh, not just ripping uh, Johnny Depp to shreds, which was pretty great, but uh, uh, throwing some shade too at Michael Caine, David Bowie taking down Steven Seagal because he's got a, a, a book coming out. So that was uh, delightful. And then the other um, one I had that I thought was pretty funny was uh, from, this is the AV Club headline, but there were numerous stories about this. Uh, Guardians of the Galaxy director James Gunn offers explanation for Marvel's military relationship, which <laughs> I feel like when you're a week away from a new big Marvel movie and one of the headlines, it's like a director is defending why you guys work with the military. Your, your rollout for your movie is not going the best. I've definitely like in the past year fallen pretty hard into early aughts, Marvel era stuff. And I've been really intrigued by the way that like the military industrial complex is portrayed in, in comics. And that's certainly become an aspect of, of the film. I mean, when you have Captain Marvel, you know, shooting promos for the air force, <laughs> yep. uh, I mean, there is a, not like hand and glove kind of a, a relationship that they have, but you know, there's an understanding. Marvel seems generally like it is way more liberal than it is conservative politically speaking. But yeah, the way that they address the military is, I think, the the biggest and clearest sticking point maybe in in that perception. Frances McDormand wants to be in a Marvel movie, will she? More power to Frances McDormand, who, to circle it back, was uh, really fantastic in... The French Dispatch. And Nomadland with Chloe. And Nomadland. See how it all ties together? That's the great thing about movies. They are all connected. Yep. It's one big cinematic universe. <laughs> we are merely the, the minions that are there watching and enjoying. Yes. Jerry, do you have any? Uh... Halloween. Yeah, we're heading into Halloween weekend. Make sure you put all your knives out on the table. Turn the lights off. Make sure that your phone doesn't work. Stay home alone this weekend. If you happen to have a relationship with a serial killer at one time, don't worry about it <laughs> because that's not going to come back to haunt you at all. If you're with a group of people, make sure to split up. You can cover more ground that way. It's just efficient. Yeah, it's a, there's a lot of good things that you we've learned over the years. That's the great thing about horror films is they teach you so much and we never seem to learn. Look, uh, if you, uh, you know, are out in the woods sometime and you come across this malevolent uh, creature that can transform into different shapes and uh, different people, you're going to want to run. That's not going to do anything. It's probably going to overtake you very quickly and kill you. You can try to appease it by feeding it a lot of food. 
but again, it's malevolent and it's also insatiable. So no amount of food you feed it is going to appease this damn Wendigo. Um, but you might possibly have a chance by uh, taking it to your local Cineplex uh, and seeing something good with it, and maybe that will make the spirit move on to, to someone else, and it'll it'll pass by your door after that. And see something spooky. There we go. See something spooky. So that is the end of the episode. Uh, make sure that you are subscribed so you won't miss out on next week's show when we will be talking about Marvel's Eternals, the Princess Diana biopic Spencer, and a new Tom Hanks movie hitting theaters and Apple TV Plus, Finch. You can check the show notes for links to where you can stream the movies that we talked about, discover older episodes, and find ways to contact Bruce, Jared, and myself as well if you want. The show is produced by myself, Bruce, and Jared, and I'm the one who records and edits it. We hope that you enjoy the show and are taking good care of yourselves out there. As always, thank you so much for listening. <laughs>